Greetings, SE land. This is Twig, Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 43. No. Oh, whoa. Moving on. Past times. Future thinking. Episode number 44. Episode number 44. I wanted to talk a little bit about thinking about work after work. I don't know who you are. I, I don't. But I do know that you've joined a profession that is a little bit unlike crunching numbers, filling out orders, putting up some sheetrock, doing a task that has a beginning, a middle, and an end that takes place at work or will be picked up tomorrow at the same place you left it off. In which case, you can kind of close the door, turn the key, get in your car, get on the subway, ride the bus, take your bike, and move on into your night and not think about work. Our profession isn't exactly like that. When you help people, when you take on the the intention of tracking a person's movement in the change process from feeling not as good as they want to feel, not able to accomplish the goals that they have, not able to walk through a crowd without feeling that they're about to be attacked, not able to get out of bed in the morning because you feel like it's all doom and gloom and super heavy that way. When you're going to help somebody move from those kinds of challenges toward walking into the grocery store and noticing that people smile at them, which actually might be because they um, your client is actually able to look at people's faces and smiling is a transactional thing. You smile, people smile back. If other people are smiling at you, it kind of means that you might be smiling too. You feel better. That happens sometimes for folks who are feeling better. They go to an environment where before everybody seemed to not pay attention to them and seemed to maybe even scowl. And then they notice, oh, wow, I'm walking through this grocery store and people are saying hi to me. Oftentimes that indicates something going on for the person themselves, that they're more available. Or you see them move into being able to talk to their teenager easier, being able to get back in the car and drive to work, being able to move out of their job that has been suffocating them and feeling trapped inside and move into some other kind of thing. Maybe it's not even as much money. Maybe it's even not as, you know, grand, but it's not as dangerous. And that's a major improvement for somebody. When you get involved in the process and the work of helping people change over time, it's easy to take them home with you. It's very easy to stay up at night thinking, hmm, what do I do for this person? Hmm, where's this going right? Hmm, where's this going wrong? You know that conversation that we had in an earlier episode, ooh, a couple episodes back, making mistakes, learning from our mistakes, cheerleading mistakes. We think about them, right? We think about what's going wrong in our sessions. What did I do wrong? What did I didn't say? What could I have said differently? Why did that go in that downward spiral direction rather than that nice lateral pendulation? Finish, do it again. Pendulation, finish, do it again. Feel, settles, mm, do it again rather than Oh, it's getting worse and worse, and you're wondering what the heck to do. It's easy to think about those things all day, all night long when you're not with your clients. Why aren't I good enough? Why aren't I not doing this right? What is not there? Or he needs to do this. He needs to do that. She just needs to do this. I just need to tell her to do this. She's going to be able to do it that way. We think about these things 
what we're doing wrong, what our clients aren't doing right, what we need to do differently, what, what they can do differently. We brainstorm, we think, we cogitate, we sometimes regurgitate. There's value. There's serious value in taking on the task of thinking about your work outside of your sessions after you go home. It's maybe not necessary all the time. Maybe it doesn't need to be as obsessive as some of us make it, you know, where we're, you know, the five books next to the bed, the 10 books next to the bed, the, the polyvagal theory, the trauma spectrum, the children with the emerald eyes, you know, wonderful, wonderful. Keep it up. Read all of that. Do all of that in your off time. Get better, get better and better at understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it and help more people. Also, it's valuable at the same time to have other things to do, to not always think about your work, to have some levity, have some lightness. You know, you spend time in the trauma fields and you can start to feel that this is the world. Everybody is burdened by incomplete self-protective responses. All of these accidents that have happened to people falling down the stairs, a car accident, major, major abuses, major life experiences that were just unquestionably, undeniably out of the norm. We see that in our offenses. We get a specialized kind of information about what's going on for people. It kind of gets to where you could think, wow, everybody is burdened by this. On some level, of course, it is. I mean, I would be the first, maybe one of the first, it's certainly one of the champions to say our situation collectively inside of complex societies tends trends toward traumatization. It it can't can't be seen any other way, I don't think. Um, start looking at the over-socialization practices, the high-intensity conflicts that come from the last mm, 5,000, 8,000 years of complex, highly dense social circumstances where obedience becomes a socialization practice in order to try to help maintain the social peace in such large groups of people, lots of rules. You're going to inhibit, incur damage and pressures against our free-flowing biology, which has signals and things that it wants to do. It's going to happen so that we end up now, you and I, um, our clients, the rest of our fellows, our peers, our friends, our family, the world over, we end up with this really strange situation where our species is highly stressed, clearly traumatized in many, many ways, and not all, not all the time, not you or I or our colleagues or clients are always feeling the pressure of some kind of problem state. And if we are, we would want to feel better than that. If our clients are, we would want them to feel better than that. If we're constantly thinking about the trauma fields and the trauma work, we're going to be signaling ourselves some pretty heavy neuroception on a regular basis. Mm, hard on the heart. Hard on the heart. Why? Let's not do that. Let's make sure that we also do other things than just think about work after work. We, we do something else. Last year, I had a wonderful conversation with my friend Sakiko over in Japan and we were walking we were walking along and talking about something like this and I said you know I think it's I think it's true or it's my opinion that everybody in trauma work and trauma fields should have something else that they do something that's really unrelated to distress maybe even something that's just plainly fun and and of itself oh 
high good nature can't be intruded upon by heavy negatives. You know, it's a desire of mine to swing that pendulum. I did that comedy improv stuff as one thing, just one thing. And Sakiko, we're, we're walking and Sakiko says, well, I, I'm taking the Zumba training this weekend to be a Zumba instructor. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Something else. Move, smile, dance, meditate, go swimming. And there'll be times, and maybe it's just part of the job, that we need to think about our clients after work. Here are some thoughts about that, the thinking about our clients after work. Now, on one level, everybody is the same species. Total humans, todo humano, all humans are homo sapiens sapiens. We share a same nervous system. We share a same ontogeny, developmental sequence from in utero through birth into childhood. Some would argue our species has an ontogeny that goes all the way through adulthood, through one-third of our lives past childbearing years, the only species that does that until we die, able to mature, unmature, immature traits that entire time, working on developmental sequences, including what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a professional or a hunter back in the day when you were really bringing something home, what to the age of 13, 12, 13, 15, you know, ritual and, and showing what you can do ceremony and initiation, all the way back to the time that each of us first raised our head. There are times and ages and anticipatory processes that our evolution has set us up for, things that are considered our ontogeny, biologically, that's like a word, for, the fancy word for our developmental sequence, right? And we all share those things. Some of them, we, you know, get to get better opportunities and signals to mature. Others, we get crushed by, get neglected, don't have the opportunity to mature, experience, succeed at. We're still looking for those chances. You are providing those chances for many of your clients. You're looking for, how can I help my client get more success with this? So that's cool. Humano, humans, we've got a big, long story, lots of information in there. Lots and lots of information. All of the childhood developmental sequence, all of the nervous system development, the impact of shock, the unresolution, unres in, in unresolution, the incompletion of self-protective responses that maintain the stress response. It's just really, really thick. When you're thinking about your clients, you can go into the soup. You can, you can wonder all over the place. What is this? What do I do? How do I do this? What's wrong? How big is this? How small is this? You can go a lot of places. That'll take you a whole lot of time. You got to get back to your Zumba. In which case, sometimes I curtail, and I recommend curtailing how much you think about your clients outside of session and what kind of things you think about. In the general learning sense, I am with you. Let's be inside of the big whole soup. These are all of these things. And in thinking about your clients outside of session, you might limit the number or type or degree of questions you're going to entertain so that you can also make dinner or go enjoy it with somebody else. Three questions I walk around with when I'm thinking about my clients. One, what's the best thing we've got going? What have we done well? What have we 
seen as, oh, that really works for us. What was the best moment we had? How have we repeated that or done other things like that? Do we have good rapport? Do we have a good appreciation of the problem state? Do we have an appreciation that, ooh, that really felt like that and you really felt that? What was our kind of our pride and joy moment up till now? I'm looking on that to see, oh, you know, keep track of the things that are going in the right direction, even if they're small in comparison with everything else that feels so challenging. Question number one, yes, it's a blue question. What have we got going right in the right direction What's been the best so far? Question number two, what's the dominant state that my client experiences when they're with me? You know, when we're sitting here chatting and maybe I let the session go for a moment, I don't influence it. Just to see, where's their attention going to go? Does their voice animate and do they get more and more aggressive looking for more feedback as they stress themselves out talking about something? Or do they end up falling silent and despondent and distant. If you don't entertain, if you don't ask questions, if you don't influence which way they're going with their attention, what dominant phase or what dominant subsystem of their nervous system is going to kind of direct their behavior? That's an important question. And then there's a couple sub-questions to it, right? Such as, is that happening because of me? Am I actually the cause of that? Am I influencing this person to go into freeze? Am I talking? too hypnotically with them, or when they start to get more aggressive, a little bit more agitation in their voice, am I making it my response too soft, in which case their aggression is going higher because it's not getting met? Just to ask the sub-question, if that's the dominant state I see in the session, is my behavior responsible for eliciting that, or is that more what comes up as we investigate things together, in which case it'd be slightly more um, authentic, less influenced, and just keep in mind you're always influencing it. So, you know, you can only you can only do so much to get neutral. You only you don't want to get neutral, right? You you are an influence. You are a signal inside of your sessions. You want to use that. You just also want to know if you're causing the dominant phase to become aggressive or shut down or whatever else. Another way you can ask the same sub question is when. This person, when they're describing themselves in their lives, your client, they're telling you about other things. Do you hear the same subsystem? Do you see that and hear the same dominant characteristics? They have tension in the highway. They can't get up in the morning. You're listening for those descriptions of what dominant phase of their nervous system is expressing itself. And how often is that? How regular is that? How stuck is that is another way of saying it or how repetitive or how unspontaneous and spontaneous? I don't know. So there you go. Those sub questions go along with what's the dominant phase here? When you find that dominant phase, you can ask yourself, what is it really that needs to happen for that to move through? Do we need to get some self-protective responses online before we are allowing the freeze response to happen, the freeze response being the dominant phase. So we really need to let that happen, but really nothing is going to happen. No change is going to take place unless we get the self-protective responses back online first. Or maybe it's that you see this fight, you see this aggressive response. Are we really going to be able to track that through in the content? Or every time we get in the content, do we end up in some runaway train chasing down all the he said, she said of things? In which case, for success, am I going to need to move this 
action, this fight, this aggression over to a more neutral conversation, a more content-free association set where I can then work the motor system, the push hands, the squeeze, the tension in the teeth, something like that to get a bit more of the motor system acting through so that that phase can have a little bit more digestion, that, that action of needing to be aggressive, have a little bit more success before continuing to chase all of the different aggressive signals, all the agitation inside of the storyline of the he said, she said, finding out or thinking through which dominant phase do I see and what would be necessary for that to have some satisfaction, some, some completion. That's a second question. With the subset, am I responsible? Am I, am I kind of like making this happen? If not, then you can kind of get in there to help it do what it's trying to do. If you are in the way, if you are making people fall asleep, if you are putting people into an agitated state, well, you know, that's time to change your instrument. Yeah, it is. Time to change your behavior yourself. And then because we don't want to think about our clients ad infinitum, you want to think about the whole process maybe ad infinitum, but maybe not your own particular client. You want to just give them enough attention and then you, like I said before, you you want to go play ping pong or something. A third question, oh, excuse me, table tennis. A third question, what's the next step that needs to happen in order for us to move forward? It, just that. What's the next step that we need, my client and I, you who are thinking about your client in the evening time after work, what's the next thing that needs to happen for the two of you to have a little bit more success or to be moving more in the right direction or even get that big, yay, we really, really did it, isn't that done? You know, a lot of times these are much more basic than the bigger questions of how do I get her, him to engage the felt sense for their fight reaction. A lot of times it comes down to do we even have curiosity inside of the room? Do we even have participation? I ask for something and they're able to go along with it. I ask for something, they're able to do the little negotiation that allows them to go along with it. Or do I ask something and actually what happens is they immediately have some kind of response that says, no, I'm not going to do it that way. When we don't have enough participation, those bigger movements aren't just going to happen. When we don't have enough curiosity, that participation of wondering what's going to happen next just can't happen. There's a whole list of preconditions that you could probably find in yourself. I kind of keep my list. Curiosity, appreciation of the problem state, participation, ability to identify internal experience, ability to track and notice differences of internal experience. All of those things, much more helpful to have them in place before we try to do the big change do the big, we feel, we pay attention, we notice everything until it becomes something different. You know, it's to, to break all of that up into smaller pieces where we can become curious about something and express that curiosity and develop that in this room, we're becoming curious as one lame duck example that I always go back to. Curiosity, don't have it, you're going to miss it. This third question, what's the next step toward, you know, our greater success it really feeds in also to the second one, particularly if you have those preconditions or those helpful things in place, curiosity, participation, um, observation, observation. 
you know, it's a big one that observing witness is there. Before you start asking somebody to observe themselves too deeply, make sure that you've titrated your way into helping them observe themselves. With that, there are these kind of sequential pieces. What's the next step to get that aggression to do something? Well, if we get into the conversation and we just race along with it and we're not able to feel the state of agitation and the state of doing something to protect and the state of that getting some sufficiency and deactivating, if we're not able to signal all that out, we often need to look, what's, what's the next piece of something like that that I can do? Can I have them squeeze this empty water bottle and get some crunch and then let go and then feel themselves content-free? Can I have them squeeze my forearm and let go? And then, you know, can we do the push hands? Can we push the pillow away from our knee? Like all of those different techniques that you're learning can be sequentially built up to what's the next thing that I need to do so that we can have more success? Three questions. You're taking a walk. What's the best thing we've done so far? What's the dominant state and am I the cause of that? And if not, then what's that say about what needs to happen for this person? And when it comes to the next thing, what really would be the next thing that if I could be the one to choose what we're going to add into the session space next week when we talk again, it would be this attribute, this missing link that will allow us to go farther. I will admit that knowing all of those different pieces is a big thing, and it's really what all of your training is about. I'm just trying to say this. When you are in your work, you're paying a lot of attention. When you're closing your office at the end of the day, it's probably true that you're going to think about your clients. I hope that you have found are keeping some balance in getting to do other things that have nothing at all to do with trauma. And when you are thinking about your clients extracurricularly outside of your sessions, maybe you limit how much you think about them and you target how you think about them in the direction of helping them do better next. So you can work more specifically toward more success with them and then keep your broader perspective of, oh, this is how all of this works. Those are some thoughts to encourage you to both think about your clients after work and have some space from it. Episode 44, already. Well, okay then. I should probably remind us of a few things. My name is Anthony Twig Wheeler. I go by Twig. My website, liberationispossible.org. You can find all of the recordings from this project at liberationispossible.org backslash sereflections. This is made for SE students and practitioners and other helping professionals who are studying the psychobiology literature. I'm keen on it. Get up, get up. Apparently you are too. Get up, get up. We're in this together. <laughs>